By the way, don't bother looking for your laxative on a rope. Oh, you mean my soap on a rope? Trust me on this one. Exterminate. Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! Wrong! It's Talkcast 101, and in Belgium it's Thursday, in Saigon it's Monday afternoon, oh my, and on Sci-Fi Saturday night, deep in Area 51 at the sub-level 21 Pleurisy Ward Cistern and Water Retention Facility for Wayward Wandering Semi-Literate Crustaceans, I am the Dome. Joining the Talkcast tonight in the Revere Time Vortex, it's the new girl in town. It's what Jess! It? No, it's, it's Kriana! Jess. It's Kriana! <laughs> <laughs> From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, we welcome back to our happy home the man who has spent the last three months furiously illustrating his new book, A Child's Garden of Zombies, The Cute Girl's Guide to the Undead. It's Illustrator X. I'm here with my little honey bunny. Oh. <laughs> And the cute girl he's been writing about, the lady with a passion for passion, and when I say passion, I'm not talking persimmons, it's the dead redhead. We're going to go play, uh, oh, patty cake now, yes. Oh, I was hoping for Yahtzee. I love a spirited game of Yahtzee. <laughs> yeah, but who doesn't? And from Outpost Gallifrey, the Nymphomaniac Catch and Release Center in Upper Montclair, New Jersey, it's our very own Captain Segway, Awake by Java. You know, every week, Dome, I get transported to the East Coast somehow, and I, I don't even really even know how that happens. It's probably one of your weird science things. It totally is. Well, you know, and I love that movie, Weird Science, but be that as it may, tonight we welcome Risa Nelson, who we uh, met at uh, Dress Up Con. Otherwise, no, we... you're not allowed to call it that. It's the Steampunk <laughs> Festival. The, gr- the, the Great New England Steampunk, Steampunk Exposition. Steampunk. Thank a few you. weeks back, which, by the way, was one of the coolest places I've ever been. Reese, are you there? I am. Hi, how are you oh, doing? There you are. Hi, 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 hi. It's a wonderful pleasure to have you here. And uh, for those of you who catch the Fiction Friday post that went up yesterday, there is a short excerpt from uh, her short story, which is the basis of her book, The Dragon Slayer's Sword, uh, which, by the way, I'm reading, and by the way, darling, is really cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, and welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you. I apologize for doing me and creepy. (laughs) Hey, 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 hey. You know what? Don't apologize, because too bad. You're creepier than a certain Scottish gentleman (laughs) on the late night television, and he's pretty creepy. Because I haven't violated the Prime Directive. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now Java's contending for Top Creeper. There we go. So to begin tonight's show, Dead Redhead, we've got a poll that's been sitting on Facebook for a week and a half about the best science fiction car. Who were the losers, who were the winners, and who was the coolest of the cool? Well, the coolest of the cool, once again, apparently all of our, our listeners are very old school and everybody went for the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Mm. <laughs> everybody needs a good flux capacitor every once in a while, that's, don't 
So, I mean, we had things on there like the Batmobile. We had Kit, the talking car. We had the Mark V from um, Speed Racer. We tried to give everybody some all kinds of different ideas, but sure enough, that DeLorean was right up there. That's right, folks. And if you've ever actually ridden in a DeLorean, you know how crap that answer is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just think. People, you voted on a Michael J. Foxmobile over <laughs> the Batmobile. Guys, yes. what, you, what you have to understand is it's the Billy Crystal line. It's better to look good than to be good. <laughs> DeLorean looks cool. It's a crap ride. You're absolutely right. Java, you're only saying that because you're like seven feet tall. <laughs> you can't fit in one. No, no. I, I'm saying that because the engine is the size of a matchbook. But <laughs> fair enough. Least, fair enough. At, at least uh, the DeLorean has uh, more power than um, the Dark Shadows uh, pictures that are coming out of the. Oh, Captain! Wow. Oh, oh, because, because oh. there is there is nothing there is nothing more weak than Johnny Depp in whiteface. <laughs> It's just horrible. It's, it's kind horrid. of redundant, well, isn't it? Just a little bit. Alice in Wonderland. Hey, well, and, I'm, I'm yeah. getting a little scared myself. As, as high hopes as I had for this movie, they're starting to get dashed. But out. then, they released a publicity still that was much better. Oh, yay, a still. <laughs> but it was cute. That's the thing, that's the thing, that's the thing though. They they came out with those publicity stills of the characters that were, and everybody was like, "This looks really cool." And then they came out with production photos, which are yeah. always more telling than the stills, the publicity yeah. stills that they do. And and it was it was pretty bad. It it, it looks like it might actually suck. No, um, no, no. I will still go. Here's the problem with the Johnny Depp movie. Okay, there's no not going to be any in between here. It's going to be yeah. either really good, or it is just going to bite the chili dog. There's right. no way around it. And everybody is at this point is just kind of leaning towards, oh God, please don't let it bite. Oh God, please don't let it bite. We really want this to work. And maybe it will. Maybe. Who well, knows? It, it well, there's no way that it's going to work as well though as as Peter Dinklage did. Hold and on, Captain Segway, you're taking the whole show away. Before <laughs> we go any further, just to mention the polls again to our listeners, we have our new question that is up, and we're asking everybody what their favorite science fiction fake band fake band is. Ooh, ooh, Glee. So, <laughs> so please. Please go and vote. Go on Facebook and become our friend and so vote. Does that whole second season of the Josie and the Pussycats cartoon come? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He does. Are you kidding me? That's right. <laughs> our listener Wolfgang deemed it so. Not. <laughs> oh my. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Captain Segway. I can't. It was just. I was. You've ruined was, his segue. I anyway. I was, a, I was in the middle of a segue and my segue was dashed. <laughs> but what wasn't dashed uh, were Peter Dinklage's hopes oh, for winning God. an Emmy. Because. because <laughs> it's because the segue sound, everyone. 
because uh, he totally did that. Peter Dinklage plays uh, our favorite drunken philandering Lannister, and he won an Emmy for his role, which is absolutely the way that it should be. I, I don't know anyone who sh- who deserved it more than him, except for possibly Sean Bean for dying. Oh wait, he always dies <laughs> every single time. <laughs> now uh, I think that I think that this should actually remain a tradition. If there is ever a uh, drunken, uh, sexed up, foul mouthed, smelly dwarf in a show, he should totally get an Emmy. Okay, Peter Jackson, <laughs> you're on notice. Thank you. Uh, Hey, um, you know, Lock and Key has been kind of slammed around because, uh, you know, it should have been made a TV show. The TV uh, 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 spots that they put together for it looked really, really awesome, and then everybody passed on it. But, But they're talking, and by they, I mean them, those people, are talking about... As long as you're getting specific. Yes. You know those people. Those oh, special, special people. Uh, board game. Oh, uh, yay. From, from Cryptozoic, based on the comic book. So we get to have a whole bunch of little plastic keys and pretend that they do stuff. Fantastic. But the game... <laughs> Thank you, Captain Smartass. Anyway. <laughs> I, it, it, you know, have you seen the Angry Birds board game? That's what it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be that. I hope not, because Gabriel Rodriguez, who was uh, the artist, is uh, the one who's designing it. Yeah, but see, here's the thing about games that's so much different than than writing stories, than writing narrative. You, you, you really have to understand the mind of the person who's playing the game and every single type of person you want to play the game. And it's a totally different beast. And I think that it takes a, a, a much different person to create a board game. If he does the art, that's fantastic. That's really great. And it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool to look at. It will go on my shelf, and I will never play it. I was going to say, you're probably not going to play it. We're, none of us are probably going to play it. But you know what? It's going to be a, a piece of, of freaking art. Yeah, but you know what I'm also not going to play? Uh-oh. I am not going to play the Avatar MMO. Nobody's going to play that. <laughs> because because despite the fact despite the fact that it was a it was a, you know, it was a neat movie just because of the fact that it was filmed in 3D and it was, you know, the same old tired uh, space story of exploitation and uh, raping the land and That's never you know, been done before. Come on. <laughs> crying Indian on the side of the road type of thing, <laughs> James Cameron started spouting his mouth off about how it would make a great video game because of, obviously he doesn't know anything about video games. <laughs> and well, that, that, uh, Did you hear what else Cameron's trying to do now? Oh, he's, tr- he's trying to uh, speed up movie cameras so that they're shooting at 60 frames a second so that when they move into digital 3D... You won't be able to tell the frame rate, frame rate differentiation between film and digital. Well, yeah, and that's just that's just the case. I mean, that's the only reason that film has stuck at twenty four frames frames per second is because of all of these film school students who have been taught that twenty four <laughs> frames per second makes yeah. it a better movie. It's kind of like that fake film grain that every up and coming, you know, all the Instagram starts putting, <laughs> starts putting on their photos to make it look good. 
No, I'm sorry. Making your photo look more shitty doesn't make it better. Oh, come you know? on. Sure it does. Let's crap and, it right the hell up. And, and you know, hey, if Cameron wants to push 60 frames a second, that's great. Honestly, I think that it looks good. My brother, who is a, a, a amateur filmmaker, says that it looks crappy. And I say, well, I don't care. It, you know, it, it, it looks like it looks... It looks more like real life. If you've ever seen a high-definition film uh, being played at, at full-screen high-definition at 60 frames per second, it looks way more real than 3D does. I mean, it, it lends a reality to that, to that uh, video. Java, Java we're, we're talking about the reality of blue-tailed creatures. <laughs> well, but, but what I'm saying is that, that the, the frame rate... Yeah, I think that 60 frames per second is just where, where film is going. It's just a matter of getting all the old people out of the business. <laughs> Thanks, I feel ever so much better now. <laughs> Here he goes again. Holy shit. Speaking of old people, <laughs> speaking of, yeah. Speaking, speaking of, of old people, people uh, how's, how's DC's uh, New 52 doing? Eep. Thank you for that segue. Hey, oh you're freaking woke. All I'm thinking is, I'm still stuck on the whole James Cameron video game thought of like you could pilot the, the Titanic so you avoid the, the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of, let her go on. I'm the king of the gypsies. Oh, sorry, <laughs> different film. But uh, speaking of the ship going down here. DC Comics. There's a segue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this month, they, if you haven't heard, they have completely relaunched their line. They have released 52 new titles, or revamped 52 new titles. And uh, from the preliminary reports that are coming in, at least, we're not sure, but at least 51, maybe 52 of them suck. <laughs> I mean, they have... Is it really? Is it, okay, seriously now. Pull yourself out out of the hype and and the scorn and the hate. Um, <laughs> well, I have read a few, and I'm just, you've read Wonder a few Woman of them. Was okay, Wonder uh, Woman was okay. I disagree. <laughs> I, I don't think that the first. I mean, DC designed this as okay. Imagine there were never any DC comics before September 2011. This is your first taste of a new character. Go. So I open up the new Wonder Woman and I read about a horse getting decapitated and there's blood spurting all over for two panels. And I'm like, I don't want to read this. It, it, here's the thing, though. Not Wonder Woman, it, at least. If these, if these comics aren't greeted with scorn, hatred, and vengeance, they will never succeed. That's the thing that makes a comic book um, succeed. If a comic book is greeted with scorn and hatred from the people who care about comic books, people will read it because people are talking about it. Because comic books don't make money because the reviewers like them. Comic, book makes, comic books make money because people buy them. And people buy what people are talking about. So if somebody says, this comic is absolute crap, it's a travesty that they would do this to this character, you buy the comic book and see why. But then... After you've made up your mind and you've decided not to buy that comic anymore, the sales plummet. And no, I, I disagree so because I think that the vast majority of people will like these comics. Oh, see, I totally people, disagree with you. They're having talk again in a few months when the sales figures have come out. Like six months from now, we will look at how these have done. 
Because I think everyone's been buying them because there's been a big curiosity factor. Oh my God, they're starting Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman over. Let's check it out. And everyone is buying them in record numbers. Here's the thing, though. This is in DC's entire line. All of those characters, they're starting over. There's no alternative. Oh, there so, certainly is an alternative. There's there's hundreds of independent comics, no, 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 and no, there's no. the Marvel universe that's doing yeah. quite I, I, well. That's reality, what, that, but the, the reality you've, is. You've wait a minute. My point. Wait a minute. You've missed my point. You've missed my point exactly. the 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 point is not that that there is no other comics to read. The point is that you cannot read these comics, these characters, these stories anywhere else. Java. If you want to read, if you want to read about DC heroes, this is what you read. But this is what's going to happen. People are slowing down to see the car wreck, wreck on the side of the road, and they'll slow down for just a little bit. They'll glance over. They'll buy maybe one or two issues of it, and then you they're going to put too the pedal much to the metal. trust in humanity, my friend. I'm you telling put you too much. Remember, ninety nine percent of the population is stupider than the stupid person, the stupidest person you know. <laughs> It, 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 how there many, are. How many there of these are, 52 titles have you bought? Not a single damn one of them. If I could ask for, for next week's show, please, I don't care which one. I didn't say I hadn't title. read them. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that, that there's a difference between the discerning comic book aficionado and the people who actually buy comic books in 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 mass numbers. But and I think that you're going you're really going to see you're really going to see the the true nature of the comic book fan when when you see how this initiative hap uh, it, it plays Do you out. You really think they're just going to suck at the uh, at the at the, uh, at the teat of DC? I will yes. say this. Yes. I will say that Java, I, I do have a certain low opinion based on the fact that um, I look at how Marvel and DC have treated some of their longtime creators. And like just recently, Marvel won a lawsuit against the Jack Kirby estate and said that it doesn't matter that you created basically the entire Marvel line. Uh, it's the characters that count, not the creators. Therefore, you get no money from the Thor movie, no money from the Captain America movie, no money, period. And then they go, they turn around and put, like, copies of Kirby's artwork in the DVDs that are coming out. And see, that's... It's like, ugh. And that is where the like, long wow, game is. great. And I'm like, it's, just stop, don't buy that. See, here's the thing. That's where the long game is. If we're talking about the success of this initiative, oh yeah, it's going to be successful. There's no, there's no doubt about that. It's going to continue to be successful for a long time. But when it comes to the good artists and the good writers and the good inkers, because they're different, and <laughs> they don't just trace. The, when it comes to those, the, the the good, the people who work on comics and make good comics, they're not going to. They're not going to go to DC and Marvel in the future. Once the once the money is sufficient in the independent comic book industry, and it isn't as sufficient, it isn't nearly what it is to be writing for one of the big uh, houses right yeah. now. Once it is, there will be a difference. But right now, it's not going to it's not going to change anything. People uh, are going to continue to buy these books. Okay, so there was this. It's going to be in, the, in, in web comics because indie comics had its heyday in the 90s and it really looked like it was going to overtake and then it just collapsed. Right. 
I, th- so, I think in, in the long run, DC has built a house of cards here. Uh, and, and you know, Marvel is, is in that same kind of precarious position of not really valuing the, the, uh, the property that they've, they've got. And you know what? who else doesn't value the properties that they have? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was going somewhere with that. No, no, but we've been talking about this for like 10 minutes. Yeah, it's getting kind of old. I know, but I just need to move. Old. I need we, to move. Old. It's a fantastic segment. <laughs> uh, that means segue. I'm going to pick something off of my list. And that's, that would be, that would be, um, um, Pam. We're going to talk a little true blood. Uh, especially, okay, so. There's this new new thing called Once Upon a Time, right? 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 Which is really a takeoff on fables, but anyway. Yes, based off the comic book. It is, and they totally admit that, and they're cool with it. Oh, really? So they, they, they're paying the creators of fables? I don't know, but they, they definitely say that they're, it's based on fables. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Pam, or as she's known in the real world, Kristen Bauer Van Stratton. That's an awesome name, actually. <laughs> I can't imagine that her porn name is any better than that. Pam Kristen Bauer Von Stratton. All right, all right. Kristen Bauer Von Stratton will, will and I quote io9, play the role she was born for, the one and only Maleficent. Brilliant casting, ABC. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And we can we can only hope that that uh, the casting for Ender's Game goes as well, because oh they God. they just they just ended uh, or just began casting for all of the roles in Ender, not just Ender, but nine other characters as well. So they're really looking for new people. They are not casting this with norm with. With experienced actors, which is awesome because that means that Ender is not going to be played by Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Remember when he was cute? No. When he was a cute little kid. Yeah, no, I totally. don't. Sorry. When he was on, uh, when he was on Disney Channel, and uh, he was on the Disney Channel. Besides uh, yeah. you, who else watched that? <laughs> I forgot what the show was, but my sister watched it. Are you watching Demi Lovato again? <laughs> well, you know, it, it might actually be better than the next season of Walking Dead because they just put out a trailer, uh, a 90-second trailer for season two. And you know what it looks like? It looks like they had all their funding taken away. Oh, shit. And oddly enough, they're doing two webisodes before uh, the season actually officially opens. And I've got to tell you, the still images of it don't look Terrific! All of the artistic uh, film filmmaking that was it's done gone. First, it's, it's gone. gone. It's, it's gone. Absolutely gone. You can and, and the the zombies look different. It's yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a damn shame because this was. This I'm going was to a give it great show, and now it's an average show. Fuck Frank, you, AMC. Frank Darabont, you've been vindicated. And uh, oh my God, I just feel I, I feel bad for everybody who invested in this into that first season, which was so good and oh, so like, right there. You know, what? at least they got to make the first season though. Like that was worth it. 
But the, the fact that they're season. just, you know, if they had just canceled it, fine. The first season was worth it. It actually would have. But been to to defang it like this is just not cool. But oh. you know, you know what? I I'm holding out hope because there are dedicated people working on it, and I really want to wait and see because, uh, it, it, you know what? It's a lot like Glee. I'm still watching Glee, even though last season sucked. Even though the season before that was kind of iffy, I'm still watching it because there's something about that show that I that I still I, it's kind of like it's kind of like that really you know bigger kid who's in on track team, but he's not ever going to win a race. But you still kind of root for him, even though you know it's never going to happen. Hmm, That's know. what it's like. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'm not feeling really. I, you know, I, I invested a lot of effort into Walking Dead. I thought it was, you know, really, uh, really the effort of sitting on your couch and watching it. That's right. <laughs> no. no, the effort of giving a damn about something. But no, you know, no, you can't. You can't even compare your effort of giving a damn to the talented actors and makeup artists and extras and people who went through zombie boot camp because they loved. That's Don't right. even compare your That's love to their right. love because hey, it's you know nothing. What? There's <laughs> enough love to go right. around because we still have the comic book, and if yeah. you haven't yep. read the comic book, get read it. Because it is, it is absolutely worth reading. It is, the, it is one of the best comic book series out there. And yep. it, it, I mean, it and, and Lock and Key are kind of tied for my favorite comic book series right now. And, and I mean, they're just, they're just spectacular. And regardless of what happens with the television show, even if it sucks, the comic book won't. And, and the, if you read the back of the comic books, if you read the comments from the from the guys who have been writing it and, and drawing it, you, like you know that they they are absolutely dedicated to the comic as well as the as the show. Yes, absolutely. Those guys rock. I think we need to start a slow clap. The only thing that I feel like <laughs> yeah, slow works. clapping for right now is Zombie the. Clap. <laughs> Did your hand fall off again, sweetie? <laughs> the only thing that I feel like slow ca- clapping for right now is uh, Ridley Scott sort of alien prequel Prometheus. Is that really gonna gonna happen? And if it, it hey, look, I don't care about alien because you know how it's gonna end. Yeah, well, it ends with. But see, it's alien. not. <laughs> See, it's it's only it's only sort of it's only sort of a prequel. It's it's about an entirely different thing, and there are lots of spoilers in what we're what, what I'm going to say. But okay, um, there the one of the main characters is an android. No, you're kidding! How did they do that? Well, and Zayfod uh, cool. picked him up on the heart of gold. <laughs> and apparently the whole movie is supposed to be from the robot's point of view so um you know it, it's very blade runner in oh, that so what they're doing is heartbeats again anyway sorry <laughs> Doom, you and i are gonna go to hollywood and get the secret <laughs> evidently yes 
anyway, da- if you if you're interested, there's a, there's a link in the show notes for uh, Damon Lind- Lindelhoff's uh, interview. If you want to know more about it, there. there I'm I'm apprehensive about it, but you know what? I'll I'll give it I'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens um, in the next year or so when they. Uh, probably at the next Comic Con when they actually talk about. You know, it's and- kind of amazing what we're actually giving a crap about and what we're not at this point. Yeah, and- yeah, we still have a lot to talk about, and it's C twenty eight. I know, I know, I know. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so my next most important news of the day. Uh, so Southwest Airlines is a douche. Yeah, but everybody knew that. Okay, okay, but it's an extra douche because they scolded this L-word actress and for some reason the link isn't working. Okay, here we go. I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to come up with her name in about 20 seconds. Anyway, anyway, she's on a plane. She kisses her partner on the cheek. <gasps> Lesbians no. exist? Leisha Haley. She's really cute, actually. She is. <laughs> Sorry. Well, thanks for playing the game and she's being creepy now. <laughs> Anyway, oh, okay, okay, because I'm a lesbian, it's creepy when I say any girl is kind of cute. No, evidently it's only creepy when I say that. Moving you on. You just say she's cute, you're like, ooh, boobies, hubba hubba. <laughs> yeah, when was the last time I said that? <laughs> anyway, she got kicked off the plane Actually, because... both of them got kicked off Both the of them got kicked off the plane, and... Southwest Airlines was like, well, you're inappropriate. And she's like, uh, fuck you, Southwest Airlines. Basically. Anyway, so George Takei comes on the Twitter and says, L-word actress Leisha Haley kicked off SWA flight for kissing girlfriend to protest. Brad and I may wrestle in the aisle. Oh, (laughs) Yes, I want a video of that. You know, I love love George Takei. I I I have a tendency... I have a tendency to be okay. First of all, this story is from the consumerist, and I have a tendency to take anything that the consumerist says with a grain of salt, because usually they're they're playing on and and, and um, trying to capitalize on a story and make something into a story that isn't. Uh, I I don't know why. I I mean, I don't know what happened. There was there was all there's all kinds of different stuff that was said by all kinds of different people. I I I I don't know. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Because George Takei was cute. <laughs> what, okay. what more reason do you need, sir? Well. Oh, all right. I, I guess we should probably kind of get to our guest. And instead of talking about the, has she hung up yet? No. Risa, Risa, I'm still there, right? I'm sorry. We still love you. <laughs> Yeah, we we do kind of get a little passionate about things from time to time, in case you hadn't noticed. Oh, yeah, but you guys are a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank God you think so. You're so sweet. <laughs> Our guest for the second half of the show is Risa Nelson. You can see her website at RisaNelson.com. We'll have links to her website and a whole bunch of other stuff uh, on the show notes on our website. We met Risa at the Great New England Steampunk Exhibition a couple of weeks back, and it was a really interesting con. It was one of the more interesting cons I think I've ever been to. Risa, how did you end up being there for that? I was actually invited to it, and I loved it. I walked away from there feeling inspired, 
um, feeling energetic. It was just a blast. Wasn't it, though? Seriously. It was great. I, no, the, we know you only loved it because of all the corseted women. Come on. <laughs> well, that's why I loved it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> creepy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I get when I get creepy? I get... Oh, I lost my applause sound. Damn it! I, I get... Woohoo! Oh, there we go. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, By the way, I love your segue sound. That is so fun. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we have to use that with Java. It just won't work any other way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We lose track. <laughs> so you know something else is coming up. We, we found Risa in the back room of one of the cons that we didn't even know existed. Uh, because there was really awkward signage there at one point, and we just kind of went, where are all those people coming out of that room? Oh, look at all these people here. It's an artist room. We love the artist room. Hooray. And then we proceeded to spend the rest of the con there. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. And there were, uh, Steve Nelson was there. Stevie Nelson. Uh, was it Steve He's Nelson? not like Willie Nelson. No, not at all. And and so, and, and, and Lee. Her last name was Lee. What was right. her first name? I'm lost for that at the moment. Oh, crap. And a whole bunch of other people. And a brain in a jar. And a brain in oh, a jar. Oh, they're going to kill us for like not totally knowing their names right now. I but know. I have an interview with them that's totally going to go up really soon. Oh, cool. And they're sitting at a table with her books. Was you. And you seemed just almost like serene there. Yes. <laughs> like a princess. Wow. I don't think anyone has <laughs> said that to me before. It was actually kind of cool. And I, and I was immediately drawn over to see, you know, what it was you were there for and about. And, God, we got to talk. And we ended up talking for, what, like 45 minutes at one. You know, it was kind of ridiculous and cool. And we talked about uh, your two series of books, uh, the, the Dragon Slayer series, and Our Lady of the Absolute. Wait, so, I only saw one book, though. Is more forthcoming? The second book in the Dragon Slayer series is coming out, The Iron Maiden is coming out at the end of this year? It's coming out on December 13th. Very cool. I know what I want for my birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And actually, yeah. Our Lady of the Absolute is a standalone, but right now I'm planning a new series. Ooh. And is that whole series going to be set in ancient Egypt? Um, no, I don't know if I'm ever going to write about ancient Egypt again. Um, but the new series is something that's still going through my head. And, you know, one day I'll say, oh, okay, this is what I think it's going to be. And then a couple of weeks later I say, oh, no, what if I did this with it. So, you know, it's really under development right now. So, anyhow, <laughs> Our Lady of the Absolute is set in ancient Egypt. But Not exactly. It's set today in our world. But in our world, there's a place where people, there's a, a society where people live like they did in ancient Egypt. Okay. For funsies. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really thought was interesting was the Dragon Slayer sword where you created an entire universe. Thank you. And in this universe, within the first five seconds, 
you're stuck. You are stuck totally in this universe. Like, literally, because... is it sticky or? <laughs> no, I put literally. I put tar can, on the paper. Oh, okay. Can, can I just read the first line, of, the first two lines of this book? Why, why, why don't we have Risa do a reading? Could, could you oh. read the first couple of lines of the book? Actually, yeah, let me... Uh... Yeah, oh, well, now we put her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're actually the one no, who I'm did that. Open to it. Okay, ready? Yeah. Please. When Astrid was eight years old, she was given to a child seller. Astrid was anxious but terrified at the same time, having no idea what the future would bring. Astrid knew she was a monster, and she didn't know what the world outside her isolated home would do to monsters. But she knew for certain that her home was a bad place, and she would risk anything to find something better. Ooh. <laughs> See what I mean? That first couple of lines, and, I'm, and I, I was just sitting there that first night. I cracked it open, and I went, wow, you have set the darkest tone for an opening <laughs> paragraph I have ever seen. Yay! And yet, <laughs> and, and yet within oh, five or six pages... I'm, you know, rooting for Astrid. Yay, good. I'm, I'm totally caught up in this universe. That you, can you describe what this universe is? How how this universe works? Um, well, I think one of the most important things about it is that some people are shapeshifters. And the way that shapeshifting works is that it's all about perception and it's all about emotion. So let's say that someone came up to you and they smacked you in the face. So you probably wouldn't have good feelings about them. So your perception of that person and your feelings about them would make them look ugly on the spot. They would shapeshift into an ugly person. And the reverse is true. If someone was kind to you and you had the warm fuzzies toward them, then your feelings about them and your perception of them would make them become beautiful on the spot. So I was thinking, you know, I really don't want a world where people just run around changing the way everybody looks. So there's an unwritten law in this world where you always have the right to change yourself, but you don't have the right to change other people. So what you have to do is that when you have these strong feelings and perceptions of other people, it's like reining back a horse. You have to like rein in your feelings to yourself and like really hold them tight to you so you don't change anybody. Wow. And it, it's this lovely code that's kind of ingrained into this society right. that, that they have to fight against all the time because there's always the attraction between uh, a, a man and a woman at one point that turns the woman into, actually turns her into how he wants her to be. Right, and it's not how she wants to be. And she feels almost powerless and helpless and very uncomfortable, and it, it, her forcing herself to change back to the way she wants herself to be is very, very interesting. And, and okay. it adds a lot of depth to your characters. It gives them a, a strength of will and purpose uh, above and beyond what a normal character would have, normal a, a non-shifting character would have, because there's this whole other element to the the strength of their characters because of it. Thank you. I really appreciate your saying that because this is 
to me, it's it's a lot of the heart of the novel. Now, one one of the other things that uh, that you do here is because Astrid becomes uh, a blacksmith, becomes a sword maker. Um, there are sections of chapters where you go into an excruciatingly correct detail of how swords are made. I do. And what I did was that, I, well, I'm going to back up a second. One thing that I was inspired by was the Viking era. I have been a fan of Viking culture all of my life. So I don't think that this, this story takes place in our world. I think it's a world parallel to ours but I modeled it on the beginning of the Viking era. And when I was doing my research, one of the things that I found out is that they had this technique called pattern welding. And the whole idea of it is that you don't know the strength or weakness of a piece of iron until after you have forged it and used it. So you could get into a sword fight and you aren't going to find out how good your sword is until you're using it. So this pattern welding technique was a way of blending different types of iron so that, you know, you would probably have strong iron along with weak iron and it would make the sword flexible and strong at the same time. And I just loved finding this out because to me, um, this is like raw material that I can then like kind of translate to the characters in the story itself. Where did you do your research on, on, on sword making and, and the whole forging and, and, and all of that? Well, I did a few different things. Um, I took a course in blacksmithing because I thought, you know, if I'm going to write about a woman who's a blacksmith, I need to at least try it myself and see what it's like. Um, so that was kind of my starting point, And that was just a huge amount of information for me. Um, for one thing, I couldn't keep up with the men in my class because... All of my classmates were big, gigantic, burly men, and I'm not quite 5'2". Um, so it took a lot for me to figure out how to keep up with them, and, and that goes into the book. Um, I did basically book research to learn about the pattern welding technique. But then I also thought, you know, if my main character makes weapons, what would really be great would be if I could find a way to learn how to use medieval weapons. And that's what took me to the Higgins Armory Museum, where they actually have courses where you can learn historically accurate techniques for using medieval weapons. For those of you living in uh, the northeastern United States, the Higgins Armory Museum is in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, I used to live in Worcester. and oh, uh, Yeah, and it's a really, really cool place. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the thing about the, the museum is that I started with one course there and my main character is a pacifist and that's because I'm a pacifist. So in the beginning when I took this course, I went in going, oh, I really don't want to touch the weapons. Oh, it's going to be gross. It's, oh, it's just going to be terrible. And then the moment I got my hands on a practice weapon and I took my first swing I did a 180, and I thought, wow, this is the coolest thing in the world. And so then I ended up taking more courses. I joined the museum's sword guild, and I became a weapons demonstrator at the museum for a few years. 
So much for pacifism. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, I'm still a pacifist. And it's this weird thing where I'm thinking, how can I be such a pacifist, but I love weapons so much, and I still haven't resolved that. And so I gave some of that to my main character, too. How much more did of your, of your main character how much more of your main character ended up in you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it could be 50/50. I think I gave a lot of myself to her, but it's kind of like we went on this this journey together. And in fact, um, every time I start to write a novel, it feels like what happens is that there's like a knock on my door and I go and answer it and there's just this whole big gigantic group of people outside saying hi we're your characters and we are now moving in with you we brought our luggage we're going to set up camp camp and we are going to be living with you all the time that you're writing this novel um, so she really led the way with that and she um, I mean like she's with me right now because I'm writing the last book in the series so it's, you know, it's kind of hard to tell where she begins and I end and how I influence her and how she influences me. Because to me, she is as real to me. And in fact, she is probably more real to me than a lot of people in the world because I know her so much better. Wow. <laughs> I, had a, I had a feeling that's where you were going with that because, you know, the conversation that, that I had with you at the con... Um, the voice that I hear when I read Astrid sounds a lot like you. Oh, that's really nice to hear. It I, really, I like that. really does. Um, so how was, how was the reception to the first book? I was really, really pleased because quite honestly, um, this started out as a short story that was published years ago. And then I wrote a second story in the same universe, and that was published, too, just to kind of see if I could um, expand it a little bit. Because what happened was that when the first story got published, there was just this huge response to it. Um, first of all, there was a, a B. Dalton bookstore manager who contacted my the editor of the magazine, and he said... Um, I need to find out how to buy this Dragon Slayer novel by Risa Nelson because people keep coming into my store and wanting to buy it, and I can't find a way to order it. And that's because there was no novel. There was just the short story. Wow. Yes. And then after that, um, my my story was in the, the first issue of this magazine. And two years after it was published the magazine did a reader poll where, you know, basically they were doing market research and they were finding out about their their readers. And one of the questions in this reader poll was, during the past two years, name your favorite story that we have published, and it was fill in the blank. And so I saw that poll and I thought, oh, no one is going to remember my story. That was two years ago. And even if they remembered the story, how would they ever remember the title? So I just kind of blew it off. And that story, which was also called The Dragon Slayer's Sword, came in second. And it was ranked ahead of stories by Ben Bova and Lawrence Watt Evans and Tom Dish. And at that point, I said, what just happened? I don't understand this. 
And what I finally realized is that all of my readers are smarter than I am. And they were seeing, <laughs> no, really, because they were seeing something in there that I wasn't seeing. And I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to, first of all, figure out if I can find out what it is they're responding to. That alone took me about eight years to figure out. Um, then I thought, all right, if I come up with an idea that I really, really love, then, you know, I'll think about turning this into a novel. And so that took me a while, too. And then once I wrote the novel, I thought, okay, well, I see the potential here for a series, and I think it's going to take three or four books. And in fact, it is taking four books. I'm writing book four right now. But I thought, you know what? If people don't like the first book, I don't want to waste my time writing a series that nobody is going to read. So I was literally like sitting around with my fingers crossed, which makes it really hard to type, and you know, just kind of waiting to see how people would respond to this. And the response was amazing. And so it was like I just breathed this huge sigh of relief. And I thought, great, now I can write the series. Well, tell us about the series for, for our listeners who have never read it before. Okay. Um, well, the first book really focuses on the main character who is Astrid. This is kind of her story of where she comes from, starting in her childhood, and what she learns growing up. She becomes, um, she starts out, like, basically her family gives her away to a child seller. And so a lot of what's going on in the book is why would they do that? You know, what will, will they gain from this? Um, and she ends up being mentored by a blacksmith who teaches her his trade. And what's behind that is that his wife and daughter were killed by a dragon. And so when he meets Astrid, he kind of sees his daughter in Astrid. So he kind of adopts her and, and raises her the way that he would have raised his own daughter if she had lived. Um, and then she goes into her adulthood. And just when things are looking great, her world falls apart. So book one is her dealing with that. And what I'm saying in this book is before you can stand up inside your own skin, you have to decide who you are. Who you are in life is a choice that you make. And so with each book in this series, I'm exploring that, that idea a little more. And so with each book that I'm writing, I'm not rehashing, you know, what came before. It's another step in the journey, um, another step forward. For example, in book one, there is, a, I, I don't think you've reached the point if, if, if you're reading um, at, I, I think you said around page 125. Yeah. Um, later on, what's going to happen is that there's this tiny little hint of something that's going on in a different part of the world. And it you know, if it's true, and you know, we don't really know if it's true or not, it could mean that something bad is coming. And this is something that I explore throughout the four books. So like with each book, that threat grows larger and larger and larger until it really hits in the last book. So you have a series of books right. set in a universe of your own making that has some real 
hard grounding to it, plus magic, plus sorcery, plus shapeshifters, plus dragons. And you know what? It all blends really nicely. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's so great to hear you say that. And, you know, the thing, too, is that my main character, Astrid, she doesn't believe in magic. You know, she feels that there's a logical explanation for everything. Even though she's affected by it and uses it. Yeah. Well, it's part of her daily life. So to her, it's normal. Right. Right. There's a wonderful character you have, um, and for the life of me, I, I don't know if she recurs or not, because at the point that I'm at, she's actually just disappeared. But there's, there's a woman uh, who's scorned by the town that, that Astrid lives in, because basically she's the town hussy. Oh, that's Lenore. I love her. Lenore. And, and what we find out about Lenore, which just freaked me out when you pulled the rabbit out of your hat with it, was that she has no feet. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Watch with the spoilers here. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It is a spoiler. I think this is really okay because the point is that Lenore walks and people see feet on her. But what she's walking on is her belief in herself. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And it's a... That's I, deep. I, I hit that and I just kind of went, wow, you just hit everybody in the face with that. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, you did it in such... You, you eased the reader into this one little, one little flash of insight so nicely. Thank you. I mean, you've, you've got a very nice way of bringing the reader to the point you want them to understand, making them understand it without making them feel as if you're teaching or preaching or sermonizing. You're just letting it happen. And it's, it's a really slick gift that you have. Thank you so much. And the, the reason I love Lenore so much is that the idea for her comes from... Like one of my favorite experiences in life is when you meet someone and for some reason right away you just don't like them. But then somehow, some way over the course of time something happens and you see them in a completely different light and you just do that flip where now all of a sudden you, you feel like you understand them and now you really, really like them. Yep. It's this powerful feeling and that's who Lenore is to me. Totally is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And mm. just to let you know, um, the second Dragon Slayer story that I wrote and that was published in the magazine is all about Lenore. It's oh, Lenore. God, I want to read that. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, you can, because um, one thing that I've done, I, I really like to give people the opportunity to read my work for free to see if they like it or not. And um, just today, I put up, um, it's, I call it a mini ebook. And what it is, is that it's a PDF file that you can get from me. Um, and it's the two stories that were published in Science Fiction Age. The one is um, the first Dragon Slayer story, which is all about Astrid. And the second story is called The Silver Shoes, and it's all about Lenore. It's her oh, whole backstory. Cool. And you can get that. Like, all you need to do is sign up for my newsletter. I send it out once a month. And if you sign up for my newsletter, I will send you the link to download that little mini ebook. 
we're going to provide the link for that on the website so that people can do that because I got to tell you, it's worth doing. It's worth reading. You know, Risa, we could sit here, I could sit here for the next hour or so, and, and yet we can't. <laughs> <laughs> so in lieu of that, uh, the new book is coming out in a couple of months. I'd like to invite you back. Oh, that would be great. I'd love that. So, and, and maybe we could get a little bit of that. Uh, when the new Wait. book comes out. Um, yeah. Joe, hold on, hold on, hold on. X was trying to say something, but his yes. volume is really low for some reason right now. Yes. Yes, uh, Risa, before we go, um, will you be making any uh, public appearances in the near future? Well, I'm almost always at Aresia in January. Oh, Boston. really? Aresia, you say? Yep, at Boscon <laughs> in February. Ah, and- Boscon, you say? <laughs> and at ReaderCon in July. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Huh. Emails have been sent. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that with all due respect and confidence, hopefully we'll see you then. That would be great. Okay, it sounds like it's the coming of calendar. Time. X, can you speak up a little? Hello? Hello? Oh, much there better. There we go. It's been a while. X, it's been a while. It's okay. And, uh, you gotta get back on the horse, X. Alright. It's the coming up calendar. So, next week, Sturdy Steve Bissett returns to help hype his happening host and of HP Lovecraft's The Whisperer in Darkness. Oh my then, uh, god, he is back. Oh <laughs> god. <laughs> Did October- we discuss this? On 10-15, it's September and October, as Jeff and Jess Finn discuss their new documentary, Strange Septembers. October 22nd, Kathleen Marden sets the record straight about her aunt and uncle, UFO contactees Betty and Barney Hill. And on the week of October 30th, Mike Dougherty of Browncoats Redemption renounces his latest, greatest project. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Zenoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Dome? I want to thank Risa Nelson, uh, who we met at the Steampunk exhibition a few weeks back, for uh, just writing some incredible stuff and and spending a half an hour with us. And uh, thank you so much, Risa. Thank you so much for having me. This was terrific. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it at least half as much as we did. (laughs) From the Revere Time Vortex, it's the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, my darling. Thank you for all that you do. Oh, bazinga. And from the Four Color Vault of Comics, thank you, Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead. Glad you're back. back. I'm going to go take some NyQuil or something. (laughs) That's okay, because I'll be taking Vicodin. From Outpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor... Thank you, Java. Good night, everyone. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. You're going to come with us. Excuse me? You're like ships. You don't seem to be looking at the destinations. What you care about is the ships, and mine's the nicest.
She don't look like much. Oh, she'll fool you. You ever sail in a firefly? <laughs> 